following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Strap in, movie fans. We're about to take you 30 years into the past to explore the biggest blockbuster hits of the 1990s. I'm Pete. And I'm Michael. And And this this is is Box Box Office Office 30. 30. fans welcome to the november 1990 episode of box office 30 as usual i'm joined by my friend and co-host michael how are you sir i'm well thank you i am enjoying a uh, a pumpkin beer yet i probably Ooh. should feel like i should be enjoying like an eggnog for our movie <laughs> of the month this time yeah, you know what? I think it's still early enough in in november i, I i'm not one of those people that subscribes to the uh um, October 31st, Halloween, November 1st, Christmas thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like at least like to wait till we get to um, December. And then the fact that my birthday is early in December, I like to get past that usually too, before I start thinking <laughs> too much about um, all the, the seasons, tidings and all that. But yeah, my yes. house, the day after Thanksgiving, the tree goes up. I was like, oh, yes. Boy. Yeah. There's somebody in my neighborhood, uh, in my new neighborhood that I walk past their house all the time and they've got their tree up in the window since we've moved here in, in August. I'm thinking that's one of those year round uh, window trees that just yeah. doesn't go away. <laughs> we, we had a friend who um, we were doing like a Zoom call early on during the, the shutdown and it was probably like mid-april and they still had their like nativity set up and i was like oh nice <laughs> that's staying up for the rest of the year <laughs> yeah three kings days the cutoff man that you, you can't keep that going that long so Baby jesus is getting dusty <laughs> so with that um with uh, with this little lead in <laughs> you, you might think we were going to be doing like the passion of the christ or something like that for this movie but no seriously we are doing the all-time classic Home Alone starring Macaulay Culkin and if you haven't seen this film <laughs> what's wrong with you <laughs> I was going to say I'm giving you to the count of 10 <laughs> to get your lazy lousy no good keister on Netflix or wherever <laughs> to watch this movie 1 2 10 Bang! <laughs> okay, and now if now that you've returned, you, well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> you 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 you've paused our sh- our show. You've gone and you've watched Home Alone. So you're with like the rest of the you know eleven billion people on Earth who have watched this movie. So 
we're going to dive into this movie a little bit, but you know, obviously we do our recall and then we're going to do a review as our next episode. But this is one of those movies where it's almost like I was sitting there and I'm thinking, do I really need to rewatch it? Because I've seen it 7 million times since 1990 when it came out. I mean, we watch it every year, the day after Thanksgiving, it's on. Like, it's like that, it's Elf, it's, uh, you know, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation on loop in my house from yes. the day after Thanksgiving till almost New Year's. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah, it's it's definitely become one of those um, linchpins in the um, holiday movie watching um, time period, for sure. Um, I showed it to Zoe for the first time last year, and she, of course, loved it, you know. we'll of course dive deep on it, but it's one of these movies. It's just like, it has a little bit of something for everybody. It it appeals to kids. It appeals to adults. It's, it's just, it's perfect. (laughs) You know, it's, it's like uh, in uh, dogma um, when Selma Hayek is the muse and is talking um, about um, I'm responsible for nine of the 10 top 10, you know, movies all time except for that one with the kid and he's like, ah, you know, it's like, it's like, it's so permeates um, <laughs> culture at, at every level. Such a great movie. Um, but before we go too deep on our movie of the month, we're going to um, talk a little bit about what's been going on in 2020 in the 2020 box office. Um, we had talked a little bit about this um, back in July and we got some really nice feedback um, at that point. So I kind of wanted to touch back, a little bit again here and kind of check in on Corona movies 2020. <laughs> so, uh, you know, as we all know, 2020 has put movie theaters on the edge of extinction, um, at least here in the U.S., I feel like. More on that ahead. Yeah. Um, it's uh, pushed back the releases of some major films like Black Widow, Wonder Woman, and uh, Pixar's Soul, which actually the funny part is I don't think I realized soul was coming out as soon as it was but that was due for a spring release you know so really yes the bond movie got pushed back too yeah i mean like everything's just like a snowball now you know i mean it's 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 been pushed it's been pushed and then those have pushed the ones that would have been in that time zone so everything has been shuffled by this so it's it's really an event kind of unlike anything i think we've seen and hopefully that we see again yeah (laughs) Um, so, you know, I mean, it, it's obviously forcing a lot of huge, huge changes, not only in, um, how the movies are being distributed, but how they're being produced in the first place, obviously through the next year. So I don't know, no, no clear roadmap, you know what I mean? So things are very up in the air and it, it's, um, do you know what they're doing now when they've resumed filming for movies, what they have to do? What's that? So basically when, so basically when all the crew, all the cast, goes to wherever the film is being shot. Let's say it's in Vancouver or whatever. They need to put everybody up in a hotel for two weeks prior, and they all must quarantine in hotel rooms for two weeks and have yeah. their food have their food delivered to their hotel rooms before they can even start shooting. So now you're paying all this cast, all this crew, two weeks of salary while they're sitting in a hotel room doing nothing. Yeah. On top of the cost of making the movie, which is a whole new added variable. And imagine what that feels to be just sitting in a hotel. You know, I mean, like, hopefully it's a nice hotel and maybe they had some nice amenities, but you're either like down swimming in the pool all day or, you know, hopefully you got a couple good books on your Kindle or something because 
yikes, man. Two weeks stuck in that space without being able to go out of that space and things. Yeah, it's, I mean, I guess you could at least be doing some like, um, for the actors and whatnot, some like, you know, practice memorizing lines, things, but yeah, what a weird, weird time and (laughs) weird thing. Yeah. Well, hopefully we had that Pfizer news the other day. So hopefully that becomes a reality and start vaccinating and clearing things up here. But uh, I had uh, a movie I I wanted to talk about, and I thought this one might even be of particular interest to those listeners that we might share with Wizards, which is The New Mutants. How much do you know about The New Mutants movie, Mike? I know that it was pushed back seven million times because (laughs) of 20th Century Fox and multiple re-edits and multiple cuts, uh, lots of problems with it. They wanted to make it R-rated but it was issues with the studio issues with the cast issues with the visual effects. And then, then then the sale to Disney threw it all out of whack. And, you know, it basically hit theaters and was gone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, yeah. And I, that's a great um, lead in to the fact that I've got um, kind of a, a little, roadmap of of this poor movie's troubles (laughs) over time so for anybody who who is maybe unaware new mutants is a comic property it's tied into the x-men universe um created by uh chris claremont and bill and i can never say this poor guy's last name but uh shinkowitz i think it is Um, adam adam will correct me with a with a flame on if i if i got too far (laughs) too far off um but uh, yes, as you say, this movie has had a long and troubled road to the box office. So uh, director Josh Boone um, started work on getting this made all the way back in 2014. That's how long this this poor movie's wow. been been kicking around. Yeah, it, it was filmed actually before they even filmed Dark Phoenix. Correct. Yes, yes. They um, He had started um, production work back then. Um, Fox kind of picked it up and ran with it in 2015. Um, and it, for all intents and purposes, was off to a really good start. Um, it had an initial, um, release date of 2018, uh, April 13th, 2018. Um, but it started hitting a lot of problems during production and post. Um, and, you know, Boone has said that his ideas were neutered, which is never good. (laughs) You know, uh, he had a very, um, horror specific idea in mind. Um, but Fox was kind of, um, pushing a little bit against that. So that's, as you said, kind of started um, pushing it more into uh, a lot of reshoots. You know, they had a big success with Deadpool in 2016. So they were looking at that as like, oh, you know, you can kind of do a lot more comedy and and things like that. Let's kind of maybe push it a little bit that direction, which if anybody has seen the New Mutants trailer set in like a psychiatric hospital, very... There's no jokes in there. (laughs) Yes, yeah. It's definitely not as jokey a thing. So... Um, it starts trending that way, but then, um, you know, like I said, Deadpool sets a benchmark for it. Um, but it also came out during that time period and proved that horror was very alive and well. Um, so it kind of went back the other direction. Fox saw the success of that and kind of went back the other direction said, okay, bring it back to your original vision. So as you say, this kind of starts, um, a, a spiral of reshoots and, and problems and <laughs> pushbacks, you know, and, uh, you know, as you you know, the, the trailer came out for it and, um, you know, 
I, for a lot of people, looked really good. Uh, it spooked me. <laughs> a little too spooky for me, so it kind yeah. of put me off uh, necessarily wanting to see it. But, you know, I kind of kept my ear to the ground about it. Um, so, uh, you know, the release ended up getting pushed back to February of 2019. More reshoots, more pushbacks to avoid Dark Phoenix, which, as you say, you know, kind of pops up films and is pushed out, you know, in, in the interim. Um, so that pushed it back to August, 2019. Then you have Disney buying Fox, you know, <laughs> so that back burner, that project in a big, bad way. So it's a real hot mess at that point. Dark Phoenix comes out bombs spectacularly. Oh. So that pushed even further shadows over the X properties, you know, so that pushed new mutants then back to April 3rd, 2020. Mm. And then everybody knows what happens next. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, uh, Good news finally came out August 28th, 2020. Bad news has only grossed so far 45 million worldwide. Not great numbers uh, for an X-Men related project. Um, Not terrible, given what the box office has done otherwise. Um, It held the number two spot in August in its release month. And in September, um, in August, it was behind a movie called Unhinged which I'm not familiar with. Russell Crowe. Okay. <laughs> Enough said, I guess. Uh, September, it's behind Tenet, um, which, okay, obviously. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then it goes on to drop to 5th in October and 8th so far in November. So, poor New Mutants. <laughs> Just This is one of those cases where I look at it like this, right? They knew this wasn't going to do any money especially during this pandemic and, you know, the biggest markets in the United States, Los Angeles and and New York City, movie theaters all closed, right? Like, Disney also partially owns Hulu. I don't know why they just would have been like, listen, we've been kicking this this movie around for six years now. Let's just throw it on Hulu and call it a day. Like, Yeah, I think that's where it's headed next, if I'm being perfectly honest with you. Because again, like as you say, Hulu um, specifically seems to be getting the stuff that's a little heavier, a little right. less family friendly, which this certainly, you know, is in that realm. So as you say, I think I think that's the next stop on the road here because it's obviously not doing gangbusters. It's not doing the worst, you know, Um I don't know if they waited another month, if it would have helped them. I don't know. Um, I, I, which, mean, I, I look at it like this, like in New York City um, or I'm sorry, in New York State, not New York City, movie theaters are now able to open at like, I think, 25 percent capacity. But. First of all, there's no movies coming out, really. <laughs> and still. I don't know if anybody actually going to the theaters at this point right now, like. It's it's a weird time. It's almost like I look at it like this when it comes to movies going in the theaters and that kind of world, which Pete and I are very, very fond of going to movies in the theaters. We've done. I can't even tell you how many movies we've seen in the theaters together. Like we, we plan it. We go to dinner, whatever, yada, yada, yada. This is a time where it's almost like that's got to go away and just like call 2020 a wrap and be like, listen. Let's just push everything to 2021 or dump it out on streaming. I mean, I don't think that the Mulan uh, premium access thing did that great. 
money wise? It's hard to say because just like Netflix, Disney is often tight lipped on their about income. viewership. Unless it's like some spectacular hit and they're like, oh, this is huge. But yeah, I don't know that I've seen anything that ever indicated how well that did. So that almost leads you to believe that maybe that didn't quite get them the new subscribers and, and all that that they um, necessarily wanted. But who knows? <laughs> I feel like it was one of those cases where they did that as an experiment to see what would happen. And if they had to, then they would push you know, Black Widow and other movies like that to that premium access. But I don't think that it it did the, oh, my goodness, I have to see this movie. I'm going to pay 30 bucks for something digitally that I can watch for a weekend and then it will go away. And then yeah. on Christmas, it'll be available for free kind of well, scenario. Black Widow, they're never going to go that route with because they want that theater money. They want that big yeah. number. You know, it's not going to do a billion like, you know, Endgame or things like that. But they want that hundreds of million number, you know, tacked to that. So that one's going to sit and wait until it's it's ready to go. And again, I don't know what, you know, they're feeling hopeful about this stuff come December and whatnot. I don't know how it's going to look much better than I'll tell you what I've been wanting to do. Did you catch the news? And again, I haven't looked too deeply into this, but um, that uh, AMC was opening up some of its theaters where you could rent out the theater for 99 bucks. Yes, I've heard that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so tempted to do that. Like, there's a part of me that's like, you know, like, Grab a couple friends, like sit as far as you want apart. You've got the yeah. whole theater for a hundred bucks, man. Like pre COVID, like if me and four or me and three friends, I mean to say four of us went in New York city, you were already at a hundred bucks just on tickets before concessions, you know, like easily. that's not bad. No, that's not bad at all. <laughs> it's, well, it's that weird. brings me to, yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I don't really have a thought. Kind of okay. Well, that brings me to uh, a movie that actually is doing fairly well. And this is a movie you and I discussed a little bit previously, um, which is Tenet. Um, and Tenet has been kind of one of the big holdouts uh, that sort of really stuck to its guns, kept pretty close to its original release date. If it if it's not the original, original release date, it stayed pretty darn close no, to it, it. It got pushed. It was supposed to be July originally. And it did August, I think, right? Yeah. The end of yeah. August. Yeah. Or like, or like March or like, either September 4th, like around the same time as Mulan hit or late, late August. It was okay. like, it was that the Bill and Ted movie in Mulan kind of like juggled three weekends, the three of them. <laughs> well, this one I got to say is, is really plowing through the Corona Meyer. Um, Tenet is about as successful as you can get this summer or fall or late half, second half, uh, three quarters of 2020. Um, so far it's earned 350 million worldwide. Um, now that's maybe not what it would have done without Corona, but that's nothing to sneeze at given the circumstances. Right. So well, it, it did cost over 200 million to make it. Yes. And that, that of course, you know, makes things a little trickier. Um, but at least it's made its money back and it's, it's still doing, you know, fairly well, which I think a lot of others, um, can't boast, you know what I mean? Um, so this brings me back to what I had mentioned earlier about theaters elsewhere, uh, maybe faring just a little better than the U.S. Um, because Tenet has earned uh, 295.7 million of that 350 million internationally. Really? Which leaves just 55.1 of that earned domestically. So, I can believe that. Yeah. So uh, other countries have definitely, it seems like, gotten themselves a little bit 
back together because, you know, 295 uh, million international is kind of, you know, standard fare for a lot of movies, yeah. you know, I feel like that's, that's where you want to be for these type of movies. So that almost looks like a normal release elsewhere, maybe a little less. Cause again, maybe Tenet was going to do enormous, enormous money, you know, otherwise, but man, so, we really need to get ourselves back together over here because I think the limited release and conditions here just really impacted that. So here's my thoughts on Tenet and this is a non-spoiler I never saw the movie. This is just what I've read online. I, for the life of me, thought this was going to be a clear-cut sequel to Inception. The way it's designed, the way it's shot and structured and everything, and the, the star of the movie basically said, it's sort of a distant cousin to Inception. And I was like really bummed because I wanted it to be to connect that universe and be a part of it. And it made me less interested to even see it once I can get it streaming or digitally or whatever. It's like, I, I, you know, if it's not if it doesn't connect anything, I don't really care all that much, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, like, it bowled me over that it's doing as well as it is. And again, mo- mainly over in international <laughs> locations. But, uh, you know, I, I feel like it's a film that had hype. Christopher Nolan comes with the amount of hype. You know what I mean? Um, but I just feel like even though it's been out, I just feel like I haven't heard much about it. It's right. just been really kind of quiet overall. Um, so. I don't know. It's interesting. <laughs> I guess we'll see um, what it ultimately ends up like when it comes out here. Obviously, I'm not going to see it in the theaters, <laughs> so I'll, I'll wait till it's VOD or, or some sort of similar release. And I'll, I'll, you know, we'll circle back then to give our mini, you know, current day review on, on that, just because I feel like it's oddly been a tenet of our podcast so far. (laughs) I see what I did there. (laughs) Fortunately, I have HBO Max, so when it comes to streaming, it'll go right to there, and I'll be like, okay, okay. I can watch it there. All right, so I got to bum my uh, my in-laws HBO Max password for (laughs) for, for a weekend. Then, yeah. Um, Although that'll be something that I'll probably end up subscribing to at some point because I'm just waiting. I'm biding my time until they get that like Justice League dump of DC content and and things like that. Like you know that like as soon as uh, Green Lantern pops up on there, I'll be there. (laughs) It's there. I think it's there on there already. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. The like, movie, or did it? Were they were doing like an animated thing as well? No, there's. Oh, you mean the TV show? Oh, like a TV show, yeah, or something, wasn't it? There's the, the Green Lantern movie is definitely on there. Birds of but which Prey. Which are you that? talking about? The the uh, Ryan, Ryan Reynolds, Reynolds one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what Green Lantern movie are you talking about? Otherwise, no, no. I, I'm. I, it's a like, slip of tongue. I mean the TV show they're producing. I think oh they're producing yeah, yeah. A, a TV show and maybe an animated series. Yes, they are doing a, a TV series that's live action. Uh, by- I was gonna say, I was like, did I fall through a time warp here? You're like, oh, it's already out. I was like, I could have sworn it wasn't. <laughs> they uh, did not market that well. <laughs> it's uh, you know, it's a Greg Berlanti property. So he's the same guy that does all the CW shows, but they said this is going to be more adult, and it's got something like ten million dollars an episode. Yeah, I'm on board. So. <laughs> And it looks uh, a little bit, and I know we're going a little off course here, but it looks like they're going to maybe fold uh, the DC. Oh, they already uh, even have the app. Yeah. And kind of shuffle a lot of that that way, I guess. 
Yeah. That which, you know, writing was on the wall for that kind of since the beginning. That that just never got the traction that they I yeah. feel like needed. All of the DC Universe shows, uh Titans and uh Doom Patrol or they're all gonna be going to HBO Max now. So Yeah. And we could do a whole other thing just on that. I those are those are some fun shows. They just they I've just, never watched them, but now that I have them on HBO Max, I can. I, I never watched all the way through them. Um, I've got, I think, at least one season each under my belt. But uh, yeah, they're a lot of fun. Um, you know, they are what they are. Yeah. Exactly. I digress. That's quite all right. You so know. with that uh, weird time warpy nature of, of, of what we were just discussing there, perfect time to jump back at, at this month's Box Office 30. Okay, so as we mentioned at the top of the show, we are discussing the Macaulay Culkin, John Candy, Joe Pesci. Not to be confused with John Goodman. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't confuse the two. Um, Yes. (laughs) But uh, uh, classic Home Alone. And this is a movie that not only is it well done, it is perfectly cast as well in my opinion definitely you know and i don't want to go into too much of the details because pete has the details and i'll let him take (laughs) over all right so yes home alone uh this is a, a big big property for 1990 even though it doesn't earn most of its uh money in 1990 uh it grosses 55 million in november which puts it at our number one spot um, and it goes on to gross $476.7 million worldwide during its run, which is, of course, big money. Um, Ghost, I think, did something in the neighborhood of like 505-ish when it was all said and done. You can go back to our Ghost <laughs> episode mm-hmm. and get the exact number. I'm not going to go look it back up right now. Um, and the breakdown is $285.7 million domestic, $191 million international. And it's also worth pointing out that it did all of that on an $18 million budget. So it had wow. serious legs. Yeah. Um, directed like- by Chris Columbus with a John Hughes script. It's, it's like a perfect recipe for success. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those movies that if it came out today, it would be in the billion dollar club. Easily. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And again, like I've, I've kind of given up on amping up our numbers, but you know, you essentially, you know, double what these numbers look like then. And you're in that 800, $900 million dollar, um, zone for today money, you know what I mean? So it's it, it had legs. It it did very very well, um, and you know is certainly among the uh, Mount Rushmore uh, of movies for 1990. Even if it only had uh, two months to run, yeah, um, in our month and a half, frankly, in in 1990, as this uh, was released on November 16th. So it only it took the top spot in November for only a half a month's uh, work. So it definitely did very well for itself. So. We'll be dropping this part of the episode almost 30 years to the day of when it came That's out. Excellent point. Yes. Yeah. We're recording a couple days ahead in advance here, but yeah, it's almost because uh, 
trying to look at my calendar here. Yeah, um, a few more days. Yeah, just a few days short of of when this when this drops. That's that's something. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's kind of the point of this podcast in a way, I guess. But <laughs> but yeah, yeah, this one really seems to sync up well. Which which means two things. One, it's fun, and two, it means Mike and I put off recording this episode <laughs> until we got a little a little too close to uh, to when it came in there again. So taking a look down uh, the rest of the list here, we've got some some other um, kind of uh, new movies. This this month shook things up slightly a little bit. It's not kind of the, as stagnant as some of the previous months. And the number two spot here is Rocky Five. Um, where do you fall in the Rocky movies, Mike? Rocky Five is probably my least favorite. Okay, but, fair enough. As is probably everybody's. <laughs> but it's it's fine. I mean, I. Not a big fan of Tommy Gun. <laughs> Tommy Machine Gun is what they call it. <laughs> oh my god, so bad. You know what was so? I don't know. I don't want to get to that movie, but it's it's fine. It's it's a movie. You know. Um, yeah. The 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 in the in the echelon of Rocky films, this is definitely the least popular and the least favorite, and arguably the worst one. Uh, yeah, I think the Rocky series had just gotten tired at this point obviously you've got the kind of like newer i don't know if they're even considered to be in in the series like the newer ones with michael b jordan yeah um or if those are kind of just considered to be something of a soft reboot now it is yeah. um i think the series had gotten a little bit tired by this point you know rocky is so formulaic um that said you know the other four before this are definitely all really fun i mean rocky um, four is a great movie it really is no and then yeah the follow up with this was a bummer it, it was yeah no I, I, the other ones are 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 definitely fun movies um i think this one just got tired i think they just didn't have enough oomph to breathe new life into it at this point i mean if you take the concept of this with him kind of being retired and training up somebody new and young and then you apply that to the Michael B. Jordan movie, which have you seen, by the way? I have not seen Creed nor Creed 2. Creed, thank you. I don't know why I was blanking on the name. Very obvious. <laughs> um, Though I know they're great. I do have Creed. It just the matter check of out just, Creed, at least like yeah. Creed 2 was was OK. Um, Creed is a lot of fun and it's it's what I wish this movie had been. Right. Um, so, you know, obviously big jump in time between <laughs> Rocky five and Creed. Um, but it, it's kind of taking that premise of him training up somebody new with the added bonus that he's got to face off against Ivan Drago's um, son, which then ties back into four, which is is great. Right. Um, so a lot of fun. I, I can't um, think about the Rocky movies without thinking of my brother. <laughs> um, funny enough, little known fact for you, maybe with him. This is like at least as far as I know, maybe it's changed since. But it, these were his like all time favorite movie series. Like what is Star Wars to me is like Rocky to to my brother. Really, <laughs> yeah, which I thought was so funny. Um, but uh, I, I just can't think of these movies without thinking of him. So uh, I don't know if you're out there listening, Mike. But if you are, hello. That's another Mike, <laughs> a different Mike. I'm surrounded by Mikes. You are. That is true. Now the next step down is Child's Play Two. Now is this the one where he, where he gets the bride of Chucky, or is it when it's just the the kid is like an adult and somehow. <laughs> the doll comes back you know i don't remember i except to say i do not believe it's bride of chucky because i think that movie is literally called bride of chucky yeah um i don't remember child's play so much and i know that you and i funny enough uh if you all haven't 
heard it so far, uh, Mike and I had a segment in uh, the Retro Network Halloween special. So if you haven't listened to that, please go check it out. It's awesome. Uh, Mickey and uh, Jason did an amazing job putting together a, a really cool show that combined all of the Retro Network podcasts and even had um, some of the folks that do uh, independent writing come on and do some uh, first-time appearances. So please check it out if you haven't already. Well worth a listen. And you can kind of listen to our um, top 10 lightning round total recall of horror movies from 1990. So we kind of hit a little bit on Child's Play as a whole. Child's Play 2, I don't know. I just don't remember. Kind of like we were talking about in that, too spooky for me. (laughs) I I did not want to, uh, to watch these movies when I was young, and I just never got around to it when I was a lot older. I think when I was in high school, I saw Child's Play. Like a friend of mine wanted to rent it from the the video store and we mm. rented it. And I think I saw that with him then he was a big fan of it. Um, I, I just honestly can't even remember if I ever even saw the second one or not. So I don't, you know, couldn't tell you <laughs> off now, my radar. Really? <laughs> now, number four is three men and a little lady. And yes. this is one of those movies where I loved the first one. And I also really like the sequel too. It's a cute movie. I mean, you got, Ted Danson, Tom Selleck, Steve Gutenberg, the Goot, <laughs> Steven Sabels. If you're listening, we're talking about the Goot. I know you're a big Goot. fan. You've met him yeah. in the mall. His ears are ringing. <laughs> Hi, Steven. <laughs> but like, you know, it's it's a cute movie. I like it. I get it. I it was one of those things where I was interested if they would do a, a third one, which they're actually doing another one i don't know if it's a reboot or something like that but there's i'd imagine so (laughs) i've heard there's something in the works of another three men and a little baby or something yeah i don't know (laughs) um but it's a cute movie you know the i think it's tom Selleck's character marries the little girl's mom in london and yada 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 that's the whole story basically um well done now number five is jacob's ladder have you ever seen Jacob's Ladder? So I have a vague recollection of Jacob's Ladder. And Me again, too. this one we Me talked too. a little bit about in our in our horror segment. Um, I remember it being in the vein of um, sort of, you know, even though we talked about it in the horror respect, I remember it being almost more psychological thriller with like scary aspects. I don't remember it. You know, I just don't remember it so well. It's It's been years and years and years since I've seen it. And everybody who listens to this show knows that my brain is shot on the stuff that I like, let alone the stuff that just I catch in fleeting. <laughs> so I, I, so, I can't yeah. remember if like it's a they're all dead at the end scenario or if it was all a dream kind of a thing. It's, it's one of those kind of it's movies. It's very dreamlike, if I remember correctly. It's 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 very. What's the word? Um surreal yeah, yeah. I guess it, yeah. It, it, it's just i don't know yeah it's i don't know I, maybe i'll go back and watch it sometime um because i like tim robbins yeah um but uh yeah i don't know <laughs> now number six is ghost hang it in there <laughs> still there uh we don't need to go into that now nope. num- number seven now this i find very interesting and this is going to be a spoiler for next month so Number seven is Dances with Wolves, which came out in November. But apparently, it climbs the ladder to number two in December. Is that correct? It does, yeah. So That's surprising that it started out at number seven in in November and it moves itself up. That's not common. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the only thing I guess I can attribute it to is maybe this is one of these movies that like started off quiet and then got like a big boost via word of mouth um, because it uh, releases on November 9th, which puts it before Home Alone. Um, maybe it got steamrolled by Home Alone, frankly, and then, yeah. and then had a little pickup later on. I think it also um, got the Oscar buzz in December that like, oh, yes, exactly. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, goes on to gross, uh, 184 million total. And again, we'll, we'll talk about this next month. Um, but then as you say, plays number two spot to home alone in December. So that's why we'll be doing our, our talk about that and our review about that next month. Um, just so we're not rehashing home alone two months in a row, which maybe some people would want to hear us do. Um, but we'll get to that in home alone too, in a few years. The only um, thing that worries me about dances with wolves the movie is very long. It's long. You're 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 right on that. This might have been one of the first movies that I experienced that was a two tape uh, VHS release. It's a two DVD release. <laughs> <laughs> like I remember when DVDs first came out and they like released this as the box set. It was like. The Godfather was two discs. Citizen Kane was two discs. And Dances with Wolves was two discs. And I was like, oh my goodness. I'm not watching two discs of this movie. I don't think I ever popped it in the DVD player because it was two discs. I was like, I'll I say I'm a glutton for punishment. I'm somebody that, um, although maybe contrary to my wife's um, feeling on this, I'm somebody that likes long movies. Like, give me the extended cut of Lord of the Rings and I'll, I'll watch it through. I've, I've, yeah, Mike is like fainting on the screen. I've done uh, I've done entire um, one day sitting watches of the entire Godfather trilogy. I've you know, that. so that's oh, that's, that's speaking of that. Oh, listen to this. This is exciting. This is a little spoiler alert for people. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola is releasing a director's cut of Godfather Three. That is the recut vision of what his film was supposed to be. Coming out on Blu-ray in either December or January. Well, that's cool. Yeah, spoiler alert there. Look at that. Um, yeah, so I don't know. We'll get into Dances with Wolves next month because <laughs> I'm going to need to start watching it today in order to finish it by the time we do the, the actual review of the movie. But That's probably right, yes. <laughs> um, after that is Predator 2. Which, which again, I feel like we're rehashing our horror segment here. Yeah, man. we had several, uh, and uh, you know, it stands to reason with uh, October thirty first and and you know, kind of scaryish movies rolling around and whatnot during this time. But uh, but this came out at Thanksgiving. Predator yes, Chip. isn't that weird? Like it's a little late, but hey. yeah. I mean, again, like you know, I I feel like there's always like a little bit of a window for horror stuff, um, both ahead of Halloween and then a little bit after kind of a weird amalgam time you know what i mean this time of year it's like the uh nightmare before christmas scenario is it a a halloween movie is it a christmas movie is it both and it's like yeah. that that like area in between is that little sweet spots first for some of these movies like that i guess but uh again uh not to rehash our horror segment i'm a big fan of the predator movies i'm definitely a predator guy uh love those characters um even if it goes back to like Predator versus Batman in the comics. Very fun. <laughs> uh, I forget who did it, but there was somebody on the YouTubes a few years back that did like a Batman versus Predator short movie. Did you ever uh, see that? Yes. Uh, I think it's Bat in the Sun that did it. Is it Bat in the Sun? Yeah. I was yeah. curious if it was them or not. They produce some great stuff. Yeah. They got a big one coming out of a, like a, a mini feature, like 45 minute movie of Batman and the Joker coming out in a year or so. Interesting. Yeah. Now, 
I'm going to jump down to number 10 because this one really caught my eye. Sure. It says White Palace. <laughs> and this movie in like it's gross was $17 million total. But in November, it's gross was $12 million. And it came out in October, meaning that it made only $5 million in October, another $12 million in November, well, unless it ran a little bit longer than it's, a, but like just the title just sounds bad. White Palace. I, well, it gets even better if you then look it up. Oh, lust look. turns to love for a 40 ish working class woman and a 20 ish yuppie ad man with little in common. Starring <laughs> Susan Sarandon and James Spader. <laughs> this feels like it's the prequel to The Secretary. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I was just about to say, yeah, that's that's not a bad uh, comparison. That was in the back of my head with that, too. Yeah, interesting. I, I had not heard of that one. That's weird. Um, number weird 11 title. worth pointing out is uh, last month's movie, Marked for Death. So that's still hanging in there yeah. a little bit. <laughs> now we go down to an, a really, really great animated movie, which I yes. am shocked that it's this low. Number 13 is The Rescuers Down Under, which is the sequel to The Rescuers. And this is another really great movie when we were kids. It doesn't really track well now, but as a kid, this was like huge. This was like, you know, Rescue Rangers, but but like on the big screen. But it was, <laughs> you know, it was, it was just an interesting kind of a thing. It's a cute movie. I think it's a long movie from what I remember. But yeah, I don't remember how long, but I loved this movie. Yeah. It it was like it's really fun. It was definitely borrowing some of that like early 90s um Australian kick that like Crocodile yeah. Dundee had really started, you know, everything on. Yeah. Um so it was definitely borrowing that like down under sort of thing, you know, but uh uh you know, I was never big on the rescuers like it was fine it's fine this is but, a much better movie though this is a yeah much- rescuers down under was a ton of fun and uh, i actually was just the other day um starting to show the kids the rescuers just so i could show them the rescuers this. down under um so we're gonna get there pretty soon i think so that's also um kind of uh, kismet timing i think that's cool. <laughs> now i'm gonna jump way down to number 26 is a movie that i'm shocked that it's this low but I assume in December it's going to be much higher based on its overall total gross. Number 26 is Misery. And this is one of those movies where I feel like, again, it started off very low. Again, it's literally November oh, again, it 30th. It on November 30th, so it had yeah. one day to earn. Yeah. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> but in, in one day, it earned $1.8 million, which is pretty good. And... I think again because of the the Oscar buzz and everything else, and because it was such a, like a phenomenon of a movie at that time, it skyrockets up. I feel like it's we're going to see that way up in December. It, yeah, definitely. And again, this is another movie that that certainly enters the conscious collective of uh, people. You know, I mean, uh, even if you've never seen Misery, you've seen that part where she's got that sledgehammer and the wood block. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> So uh, I feel like everybody has has at least uh, caught that portion of the movie. It's like in every award shows, like highlight reel of something when they highlight like a Lifetime Achievement Award, you know, or something like that. You see, you know, a Kathy Bates reference. You always see that scene. It's just crazy. 
yeah it's funny. just nightmare fuel uh yeah. you know like I, I saw this movie years and years ago and if i forget most of the rest of the plot of that movie um which i i don't actually funny enough i i do remember good chunks of it but if i had to forget the rest of it believe you me that i'll go to the rest of my life remembering that gnarly hammer and <laughs> that like Whoa. crippling him Ugh. yeah oh. <laughs> yeah creepy so there's a whole mess of uh, of other junk because we're getting down, down, down in the list here. This list this month goes to 43 spots, which is quite a lot for how many we usually see on, on our little uh, box office mojo list. One of them that's catching my uh, eye here is the number 29 spot, not terribly far behind Misery, a movie called Robot Jocks. <laughs> I, I can't mm. even imagine. Uh, l- let's let's do the uh, the movie voice for this one. It is post-World War Three. War is outlawed. In its place are matches between large robots called Robot Jocks. <laughs> These matches take place between two large superpowers over disputed territories. The main character, Achilles, is a pilot in one of the large robots. The plot revolves around him and a match for the state of Alaska. Okay. <laughs> what? What? I, I mean, I guess this sounds like that um, Hugh Jackman movie. Yes! Uh, that's what I was thinking! Skill, yes. I think it's called... Which was a ton of fun. I don't think I don't think most people liked or loved it. I certainly did. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. Robot jocks. <laughs> like, <laughs> man, does that scream be? Oh, yeah. So I'm going to make another jump down because this is kind of important to reference. So number 37 is Roger Corman. <laughs> help yourself. Hey. Steven Sapella, I really hope you are listening. To I'm going to tell him to listen. I'm going to tell him. Listen, tune into this episode, Steven. You're all over it. So number 37 is Roger Corman's Frankenstein Unbound, which came out on November 2nd. And the reason why I bring this movie up is because the Wizards podcast, which loves to torture me to watch movies that I, or read comics that I don't want to watch, has got me this month watching Roger Corman's Fantastic Four, which came out in, well, it didn't actually come out, but it was intended to come out in 94. And Steven and I are going to be doing a episode of, of Wizards about the Fantastic Four movie, but I feel like I had to pay reference to <laughs> Roger Corman's Frankenstein Unbound, which grossed $334,000. Total. In, total. <laughs> In 34 theaters ever. And I'm going to read that makes it more or less successful than uh, Fantastic Four. (laughs) I would say more. Uh, I'm going to read the synopsis to Roger Corman's Frankenstein Unbound. The ultimate weapon, which was meant to be safe for mankind, produces global side effects, including time slides and disappearances. The scientist behind the project and his car are transported from the year 2031 to 1817's Switzerland, where he finds Dr. Victor Frankenstein and his contemporaries. 
And Very that's nice. the entire synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All righty. Well, so, I'll at least say that I'm very much looking forward to your guys uh, rewatching and, and reviewing. The, oh, I have a lot to say. I have a I lot. I have to not say. seen that. And I'm tempted to see if I can dig it up to. I can send you the link. I, I, I have it. I can send Excellent. it to you. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to co-watch that just so that way I can, I can go into that with uh, the, uh, a little bit of an idea of, of everything. I've seen photos i have not seen uh, i'm also going to tell you that i am currently also watching the behind the scenes documentary about this film which is on amazon prime and Ooh. it's called doomed all right well i will i will have to look that one up as well because you know i'm in it for for stuff like that so yeah. this is one that has been like in the back of my like nerd to-do list for a while so so this is Perfect timing. So I'm gonna I'm gonna quietly join you guys in, yeah. in rewatching that. So to to bring it on home here, it, it wouldn't be a normal box office thirty if we didn't mention the guy that's all the way down at the bottom of the list. So at number oh, forty three this month, bringing in a worldwide total of twelve thousand seven hundred fifty one, but a month's gross of one thousand eight hundred twenty one, is a film called Diamond's Edge. Oh, I think I'm just going to call it there. I don't even feel like I need to pursue talking what this movie's about. <laughs> I just feel good that we let the world know that this movie existed. Oh, uh, <laughs> I want to read it. I want to listen, listen to this. This sounds like the transporter. I'll tell you right now. When the, <laughs> Does it though? <laughs> when the man who left a package in his care is murdered, Detective Tim Diamond suddenly has every major gangster in the city after him. With only the package and the help of his little brother, he sets out to unravel the mysterious plot. Nice. That's the movie. Here's my question. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Oh boy. <laughs> that was pretty All cool. right. That said... Let's push this thing along. Yeah. <laughs> so, bringing it back to what we're actually here to talk about, let's do a total recall for Home Alone. So, I mean... Let's kind of go back and forth because we both really could probably regurgitate this movie from the get go. Yeah, I would actually say in fairness, this might be the first movie um, out of the ones we've done for the show. where probably, yeah, it's very ingrained in our heads. We yeah. could probably um, rehash the whole plot. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> so I guess I'll start. So essentially you have the McAllister family who is a tremendous family. And the one question everyone always asks is, what does Kevin's dad do? Because <laughs> they live in this gigantic house outside of Chicago, and he has his entire family. I can't tell if it's his in-laws or it's his siblings. There's never really that clear as to which side of I think it's a the- mix, yeah. I think it's a blend, right? Of, of I like- get the impression it's from the father's side. Um, I don't know. And I don't really have a great basis for that, but just kind of the way that I feel like the father interacts with the uncle, they just feel brotherly. <laughs> I guess. I guess so. You could say that. So he, the you know, Kevin's dad, who he who recently passed away, unfortunately, um, he he basically 
paid for an entire trip for his whole family to go to France. And they're, it's a huge family. There's 11 siblings or 11 cousins or whatever. Uh, Kevin himself, Macaulay Culkin's character, has three siblings? Is it something four, like, something that. like that? It's very unclear because they kind of like say you mostly come out of the movie remembering Buzz. The rest of the siblings are kind of just yeah. uh, and the old added. the older sister has like one or two lines in it, and then there's the the brother who's also Pete and Pete. Uh, That's right. <laughs> um, but other than that, you really don't. And, uh, his cousin, his little cousin, is like uh, actually Culkin's younger brother, who is in that show uh, Succession on HBO. Now, interesting. Yes. And um, so basically the, the the plot of the story is they're going to France. Kevin doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to be doing this. He, he has a big fight with his mother and his family because yeah, well, he just generally doesn't seem to get along. He's kind of like yeah. the black sheep of the family. Yeah. And even though he's being like pushed constantly by siblings and cousins, you know, he's he, he you feel bad for him because he kind of gets the short end of the stick. But in like the very Bart Simpson um, way he sort of also does pushing back and he's not going to kind of take anything from anybody um, so he he just kind of is in this funky zone where he's like the black sheep the odd man out and, yeah. and kind of at the um, probably not fair ire of the rest of his family members in, in the holiday time as they're all getting ready for their trip right and this is one of those movies where I've been looking at movies in an interesting way now because I look for like the A plot and the B plot of the movie. So yeah, first of all, I should actually interrupt. Uh, uh, this is a, a big box office 30. Congratulations to our, our main man, Michael here, who just <laughs> not only graduated with a, a BFA in creative writing. MFA, so, MFA, MFA, excuse me, MFA. Um, yeah, look at me. I'm, I'm underselling you here. <laughs> MFA, Masters of Fine Arts. And not only did that, but he's the valedictorian for his class, folks. Thank you. Yeah. Big round of applause for this guy via the internet. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. October was a pretty crazy month for me. So, yeah, I graduated with my master's in fine arts from, from Full Sail University. Uh, I got a couple of different accolades and awards from the school. I also got my first short film accepted into a film festival in London. In and London, I, no less. Yeah. And I'm waiting to hear back from a couple other festivals as well. So it was been a pretty October was pretty cool for me. I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm riding on a, a high wave of, of excitement coming out of October. It's all good. Humble brag. Yeah. Humble brag. It's so, good. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, one of the things I've been doing now. So I'll going to back up when you're in film school, in particular, in your undergrad, you overanalyze movies to the point where it becomes nauseating at times. And, and then know, you go on years later to do a podcast about it. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but, but then you know, now going back and getting a second degree in film, one of the things that we tend to look at a lot when I was doing screenwriting was looking at the A plot of a movie and a B plot of the movie. And I've been really trying to dissect that in a lot of movies. I was doing that to Frozen the other day. I was like, oh my goodness, what's wrong? Nice. But um, so obviously the A plot of the movie is. Kevin has a fight with his parents. He gets locked up in his in the attic, basically, and they forget about him as the family leaves to go to France. And then he wakes up and he's home alone. And obviously the, the name of the movie and it even says it in the movie. I'm home alone. Ah, whatever. You know, <laughs> that whole thing. Everyone knows the, the gag. 
But the B plot of this movie is there's also these robbers starring Joe Pesci and I always forget his name. Um, the voice Daniel of the- Stern. Daniel Stern, yes. Um, so they are the wet bandits and they're robbing houses in the neighborhood because they know there's money in the neighborhood and so on and so forth. And they choose to target Kevin's house because they see them going away to France, not realizing that the kid is home. So now you have this dueling story where, you know, Kevin has to survive on his own, which he does a perfectly fine job for a seven-year-old, which is pretty incredible how he figures everything out. (laughs) And on top of that, protect his home from these criminals and try to capture them while he's still afraid of what could happen. And then I would also argue you also have kind of like a C plot, which is then like the, the mother's neighbor. like crazy travels to try. Yes. Well, the neighbor certainly as well. I, I feel like he's more of like, and they do this in both Home Alone movies. You think Kevin would have learned his lesson after the first one, which is that um, he's this guy that's like, you know, pitched to be like scary and a murderer and he killed his son and hacked him up and all this sort of thing. And then like, oh no. A real good like, kids movie idea. Like a lonely old guy. But yeah, but you know, it's, 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 it's such great writing that um, plot with that because it's like it's exactly what older siblings or cousins did say, to you yeah. when you were young. Like tell you these like a, like crazy tales that like as a seven year old are completely believable. Mm. You know, like of course that weird old guy that walks up and down the street with a snow shovel killed his family with a snow <laughs> shovel and like yeah you know whatever. And then, of course becomes like uh, Kevin's savior in the end yeah. of the movie. You know, and then he realizes it's not so bad and he reconnects with his son. And it's got this whole other sort of thing, but. I was going to say there's this uh, other plot line of the mother then like coming home, bailing, trying to get home and running into John Candy and crew and, and, and this whole sort of thing. And for those uh, of you who are are uh, Schitt's Creek fans, um, this is also the mother from Schitt's Creek, uh, Catherine O'Hara. Yes. And uh, to me, honestly, the mother of the way she plays uh, Kevin's mother is probably her best role. Like, well, it's just super believable. Well, I mean, it's super believable once everything goes down. Yeah. That anybody on any sort of stressful trip with no matter how many people could forget one of their children at so many points <laughs> before they get on a plane, maybe not as believable, maybe even less believable that they managed to do it again in a sequel. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh past that very believable very heartfelt performance um and you know like really and truly brings you know like kevin's whole thing in this is is like fun and like especially from a kid's point of view it's like this avenue into the you know the idea of like that of so many disney movies you know the parents have been taken out of the picture the kid has to fend for himself and you know the kid's going to kick butt and, and take names you know um, but the heart of this movie is the mother really trying to get back to him and things yeah. like that. This is one of those movies that sparked a lot of similar type of movies in the future going ahead. Movie, For sure. Movies like Blank Check or like, you know, another Michael movie like, you know, uh, Richie Rich and all these kind yes. of other movies about like the boy who's on his own or the boy who has an opportunity. Even like, you know, Angels in the Outfield and, and uh, you know, Rookie of the Year. All of these movies kind of... Funky, butt-loving. Oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> but 
all of those types sure of movies. I hope that pops up in our list. Somewhere. Oh, I'm sure that will. That was a huge movie. But but those movies all kind of resonate as Home Alone being sort of their archetype because it's about a boy who is thrust into a situation without the safety net of a parent or somebody to guide them along the way, even though they have sort of, you know, some sort of mentor character or, or, or protector at certain points, but they all kind of follow a similar pattern because of this movie. I feel like that was a big, uh, I guess the word you would use is you use the word linchpin almost as if it like, this is where everything comes back to. Did I use that right? Definitely. Yeah, no, for sure. And it, again, it's not to say that it's necessarily the first movie ever that, that, you know, had this sort of idea, but it, it definitely, yes, it is the linchpin. It definitely set um, a bunch of others out. And, you know, as you say, even things like Richie Rich that then has Macaulay Culkin in it. Um, another one that kind of pops to my head is like page master, right? Cause now I'm thinking about all these Macaulay Culkin mm-hmm. movies. Yeah. Just this larger than life thing where like a child has issues with their parents for one reason or another, and then like has some grand adventure or thing happen to them that sets them apart and yeah, and does it. And again, like again, this is like the plot for like a ton of Disney movies and things Time. like that too. You know what I mean? Like uh, it's it's just this idea that like you know kids are going to relate to another child that does something big and amazing. And I, right. it, I think it's in the same vein of like why you or I would look at like a superhero movie and be like, this movie is awesome because it's like somebody like us that's doing something big and amazing that we can't do. Yeah. Scaled down to a child's age. You know what I mean? And, you know, again, like and we said this a little bit before, but like this movie, you know, John Hughes is a master um, writer. He's done so many amazing movies, um, but it's so perfectly rides the line between being a fun movie for kids to watch but a really excellent and fun movie for the adults in the room to watch yeah. too. And I think those are the movies or the TV shows or whatever that are always the most successful, the ones that can like do both things really well, you know, like toy story, for example, exactly. Yeah. You know, that was a movie that when it came out, like, yes, it was great for us as, as kids, but parents could relate to it because we may not have gotten all the jokes. We just saw toys on an adventure or kids on an adventure. But then there's like these little, you know, nuances or, or, snippets in the story where people parents are cracking up hysterically and that's you know a key thing and i think a lot of that not only that the john hughes story to bring it back to what you started with but the christopher columbus uh chris columbus i should say uh directing of this movie as well 100 you know? yeah no it's like i said before it's like you know i know this movie had various troubles during filming and Did it really it, yeah, I mean, like, like it's mainly stuff with the studio. Um, they got a lot of pushback from the studio and things like that. That was trouble for them. And uh, th- there's just like weird little production things. I mean, it's nothing like over the top that they had to like completely overcome like a la New Mutants or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, you know, like, if you ever go look, um, there's some interesting stuff out there about like some of the behind the scenes of how this movie got put together. And it's really fascinating stuff. Like uh, one fun fact about this movie is that um, if you're not seeing the outside of the house, because obviously most of the movie takes place inside the McAllister home. Yeah. You can go see that home. It's a real home. It was up Uh, for sale recently. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I saw that. Um, But whenever you're inside the home, it's 
completely head to toe a set. Yeah. And it's not even that it's a soundstage. It was built in a high school in a gymnasium. Really? Yes. In Chicago or or like in Los Angeles? Yeah. In, uh, in Illinois, I don't know how close to Chicago. It's actually the same school that was used for Ferris Bueller's day off. Oh, wow. Among several other movies, maybe the breakfast club. Um, and, uh, the funny part is like, you know, like the scene later on in the movie where the basement's flooded, they actually used the school's pool to facilitate having water, like in that scene It's built on top of the school's pool. Really? Um, so, yeah. So like, it's really funny. So in the vein of like what you were talking about earlier with people being at a hotel, same thing, like the entire crew there is like in a hotel or some of them, I think even I read or heard were staying at this high school. They built the whole thing in the high school. They filmed the whole thing in the high school. They built the entirety of that house inside the high school gymnasium. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just fascinating. I mean, it's just such a funny look into, into how they would do that. Or, What's that? Even like the, the airport sequences and stuff like that. No, so, so I think some of that was, was certainly done on location. I think some of it was probably done um, as well in, in additional soundstage. But again, so much of the movie takes place inside the house, um, that, yeah. I, yeah, there's other scenes that take place in like a town. I, I can't remember if that's an actual town or back lot. Like when he um, is like, you know, essentially almost ice, skating, yeah. and ice skating and and things like that. So there's definitely parts of it that are, are out and about. And I think those are filmed in the area of where this school is. Right. But something like 80 or 90 percent of this is all filmed inside this. They basically built a house like it's literally like a house inside this, in this gymnasium. Wow, that's cool. And it's fascinating. If you see some of this behind the scenes stuff to, to take a look at it, um, I have to look up and see if I could share with you what it was that I had seen or heard most of this from. I think there was like a YouTube, like quasi mini documentary about, uh, about this that I had watched just because I love the movie so much. So I, I had seen that at some point. That's so interesting. And the other funny part is <laughs> there's a part of me that wishes I had like reached out to Macaulay Culkin to ask if he wanted to be on the podcast here, because the funny part is he's like, I'm sure he would do it too. He, he would probably do it. He's very prevalent in stuff like this. Like, I don't know if you um, are a fan of things like angry video game nerd. Yes. Or, um, he's been on um, like, I think some of red letter media's stuff. Like he's very good about like showing up in, is some of that sort of stuff. So, uh, you know, I think I've also ancillarily heard some of these stories via him um, on some of those other um, YouTube channels and things like that. Hmm. Interesting. Maybe we should tweet him. Yes. <laughs> Maybe he's on cameo and get him a little, get, say a little one liner for us. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, overall, this movie is, you know, one kid's adventure. And, you know, the, the idea behind it is, He's on his own. He's he he makes a wish. He goes, I wish my parents would just disappear. And the whole family is, <laughs> you know, in France. You know, the, the mother tries to get home. She finds her way home. She meets up with John Candy's character, who is uh, a, in a polka band. Yes, and, and they rent like a a rider <laughs> truck. Polka band, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They rent like a, a rider truck where they're driving across country to their next gig. It just so happens that he's going to be passing through the Chicago area. And this is one of those things where at the time when I was a kid, this came out not long after uh, Uncle Buck, which is a, another John Candy movie where Macaulay Culkin plays, you know, his, his nephew. Right. I forgot he was in that. And I was almost like, 
I was wondering if they were either somehow related, like when I was a kid, or like <laughs> there, there, there was some sort of reason why it just happened to be of all the actors they could have cast for the 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 polka guy that helps the mother out. Why John Candy? I mean, it's perfectly cast. He's hilarious in the movie, and he's also the best part about him is when he's telling the story about like I guess his son or one of the other guy's son like was locked in a car for like four hours and the kid didn't speak for a month or something like that. And the mother yeah. was like, well, I mean your connection here again is John Hughes. Cause that's a John Hughes movie. Uncle Buck. Oh yeah. There you go. He wrote and directed that one. Makes sense. There you go. There you go. Yeah. No, he's a, he's a John Candy guy for sure. So I think that's, you know, I, I think it literally boils back down to that, that he, I think he pulled people over that he, he tends to really like and, you know, yeah. yeah. So, as the story, but that per- is funny. Like as a kid, it's actually it's, it's a really great point that you bring up. Um, how many things like that? That as a kid, like you know, I'm, I'm kind of having fun reliving that right now um, with my seven year old Zoe. Um, like the other day, like uh, you, you maybe laugh or cringe at some of the movies I've been showing her, um, but uh, she's kind of turned that corner where she went from being like, I'm scared of all these movies that daddy watches to like, I'm kind of interested in what these movies daddy's watching. Mm-hmm. So me being Mr. Star Wars, we've actually been watching through the Star Wars movies. So uh, we watched the original uh, movies and we went back and watched the prequel movies. And she was very into the idea of that because uh, my daughter has um, asthma. And um, when we were talking to her about Darth Vader, because, you know, I'm just too much a Star Wars person that she's not going to run into that character at one point or another. <laughs> we related that character to her on the fact that he, he like kind of has asthma. So she actually really glommed onto that idea. She really linked into that. And so she's like, Darth Vader's got asthma like me, you know, and she kind of like, it was, you know, adorable, but like, you know, she kind of wanted to learn about him then. So that's why we went back and watched the movies. And especially when you get into like phantom medicine, it's like, Oh, he's a little kid. And it's like, he's going to become the guy that has asthma. Yes. You know, so things are very, <laughs> yeah, deep, but that's what he had. That's, that's his problem. He has asthma. Problem, yes. Yeah. He doesn't um, murder a galaxy. No. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had to kind of like gloss over the, the youngling murdering scene. <laughs> She's like, what's happening. Uh, don't worry about it, sweetie. <laughs> but uh, we got done with, with those movies. And uh, she's also very into, you know. American Psycho now? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, no, I'm going to show her that uh, real soon. Um, but uh, uh, what you call it? Um, the other thing that she's been into via me, via proxy, is then, of course, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, I thought you were going to say Lord and of the Rings. I, I would have hung up on no, you. No, 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 no. I'm not taking her down that route yet. I think that one's still too scary. Um, but I've been selectively sort of over time allowing her to see some of those. I think maybe she originally saw like Ant-Man and she was very into Ant-Man. Um, but we've now been kind of going back through them. She, you know, I had gotten the um, Crystal Dynamics Avengers game and she liked watching me play that. She wanted to know about the characters more. So I've actually been showing her the MCU movies, like kind of in chronological order, um, stage one and stage two or all that sort of thing. So um, we've been watching the Thor movies and she's taken a particular shine to the Thor movies. So we were watching um, Dark World the other day and I kind of turned to her and I said, wow, you know, Jane Foster sure looks a lot like Queen Amidala. And she she like turns to me like big eyed and she's like, is that the same person? And it's like, it's, it's great. Cause it's like, <laughs> it's so cute. You know, like, you know, when we were that age to your point, you probably looked at that and you're like, whoa, that's uncle buck. Like, why is he in this movie at all or whatever? And it's like, 
it's very cute now, like kind of reliving that um, through the eyes of, of a seven-year-old 30 years later. Um, and uh, the funny part is actually she has expressed very big interest in, in rewatching Home Alone um, when <laughs> I go to rewatch it for our review. So I don't know. Maybe she'll join us on our review or something because she uh, she was very into the... We made the uh, recorded earlier in the day then. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> we can't do these late recordings. No. Um, that's Although, actually, if I told her, like, let's stay up on a Friday night and you can come do the podcast with me, that would be like money to her. Like, <laughs> she'd be very excited for that. <laughs> that's funny. So, so yeah. So, obviously, we've kind of digressed a lot. This is one of those movies where I don't think we really need to do a full recall because if you're listening to this, you've probably seen the movie. But I do like the idea of kind of talking about the nostalgia that's around it and totally yeah i'd say let's let's think about some of our favorite stuff and the nostalgia on it because we don't want to bore anybody with with the complete breakdown because i i would venture most listeners have probably seen this one <laughs> so i i think i'm gonna start and so the way i would say one of the most nostalgic or relatable things to me as a kid seven years old or yeah i was seven when we saw this movie yeah so remember in the house, he had the scary boiler in the basement that he thought was like a giant <laughs> face that would like, so, yes. <laughs> so we, in my house growing up, had this very loud. You oil, and I shared this. <laughs> yeah. And this old oil burner and it was really, really loud. And whenever it would click on, it was like a explosion in the house. It was very, very scary. And when, when I saw that thing, in the movie, I was like, it's not just my house. It's not my house. It's every house. There's a horror to it. And no, it's, it's so true. And not only is that completely 100% the case with me, but you know that for a while, when I even got a little bit older, I moved down into my basement. We had a section of my basement that was sort of sectioned off and uh, finished out. Could like, have been a bowling alley. It was so great space. down there. We should, we should and, have been uh, a movie theater I down there. Cross. If I came downstairs from the upper part of the house, I'd have to cross past the room that had the boiler. But even when I was older, that thing would like find a way to click on and make all the noises when I was coming through. And I'd be like, ah, <laughs> it still scared me even a bit. Different reasons. But yes, 100% completely relatable. <laughs> fun fact, another fun behind the scenes fact. There was uh, because, you know, they do that sort of over the top thing with that um, where it's kind of scaring him and everything. They were actually going to do a much extended, almost dream sequence about that thing that was like really? even bigger and better. And that got held back by their limited budget. <laughs> really? Yes, that did not make the movie because their budget was, was um, I think, 14 to start and then pushed up um, eventually to 17 by Fox. But it did not make the cut wow. because of their budget. So another nostalgic thing was the fact that he had a treehouse. It doesn't play a significant <laughs> role in the movie other than obviously the end when he zip lines across and everything. But it was one of those things where like growing up, I didn't have a tree house, but I think seeing that in his backyard, every kid was like, do I have a tree <laughs> that I could build a tree house like that? And you were like, we're looking around your house, your neighbor's yard, who's ever like, how do we build this kind of thing? It's like, it was such a cool idea the way it was designed. And he, zip lined to it and he kind of crashed through the wall whatever it was you know it's like ah i wanted a, a treehouse so badly because of this movie no it's true and it, it it 
it it's it's another perfect point of nostalgia for me because I've talked about here already um, a few times about I had very good friends in high school mm-hmm. uh, and and before that that I used to watch and kind of poke at a lot of these movies with and um, one of my all time great friends uh, Trevor who I believe does listen to this podcast and has been was very excited about the uh, marked for death uh, episode last time um, he lived down the road from me and had a uh, treehouse very much in the vein of. Kevin McAllister's in his backyard and had a zip line and everything in the backyard. Didn't really? go to it, unfortunately. Was right next to it, but didn't go to it. Um, but we were always like, we were huge Home Alone fans, um, and and played the video games and and you know poked fun at Home Alone three when it came out. And we still, I think, joke about that every once in a while to, to date. <laughs> um, particularly, our one of our favorite things was always that um, in Home Alone three, the kid had a. Uh, remote controlled car that he uses that seemed to have like infinite range because you know the 90s remote controlled cars that you and i would have gotten had about five feet range and then it wouldn't go right. unless you follow it you know yeah. um so uh, trevor i hope you're listening and get a kick out of that but um but uh so true like we were watching like home alone and it was like oh we want to get set up the zip line from his house to them down to their um <laughs> you know uh tree house not for nothing because if we had done it perfectly it would have gone from his back porch over his pool down to his tree house and like imagine how fun that would be to like zip line drop off in the pool or something like that would have been awesome super cool <laughs> then you worry about the one kid that goes too far and like glides into the side of the pool <laughs> You're like oh boy we broke the pool again guys <laughs> we're worried more so we broke the kid yeah <laughs> you don't want to like smash into the pool and go under that's true what's what's a nostalgic thing for you of this film oh where to begin uh I think Kevin McAllister is like the dream of every little kid as far as like, I think one of my favorite things of this as a kid, and it still holds true to date is the traps, like his battle plan. Like think about all the times as a kid that like you would sit with friends and draw up a blueprint for something, you know, like a mission or a project or like a course or something. Yeah. And again, like, you know, like same thing on my friend Trevor there. And I like perfect point in case, like how many times that him and I would sit and like, you know, cause my dad, your dad was a construction had the blueprint paper sitting around and available. You'd like grab some of his blueprint paper, like drop your mission with your GI Joes or whatever. I mean, like I, it's it's still to date one of my favorite things that like he like protects the house and like sets up all these fun and goofy traps and everything and he's got the micro machines and oh, like man. you know like all this machines. sort of stuff that he's setting out you know and it's like you go back and you watch that and you're like it's just so feels like something you would have been doing maybe not like protecting your house from burglars necessarily <laughs> but like I guarantee you after that that there was a time at least once where you then played home alone and like we're setting up like little things around your house. Like, you know, like I can very vividly remember um, with my cousins, like, like for fun, like setting up like some traps and things like that. I don't know who we were going to trap, like the imaginary burglars that were coming in purely inspired from that movie, you know? And it's like, there was other movies of that time that would inspire you to play things with your friends and things like that with action figures, you know, Ninja Turtles pops to mind and things like that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. There was just so much fun about that. And, and we kind of hit on it already, but even that like nostalgic feeling of, um, your, I didn't have older, well, I have older siblings. They're, they're much older half siblings. So they weren't necessarily doing this to me, but I had older cousins that would 100% play this sort of tricks on you that buzz and his other cousins mm-hmm. and siblings were playing on him. 
you know, telling you these over the top tales about like, oh, the the murderer that lives in the woods or, or you know, like there was this um, guy that, you know, in retrospect, it wasn't great that we were sort of doing this, but there was this like um, homeless man that lived in our town, which in my town, like he was the town homeless man. Everybody knew him. Like there wasn't more than one. It was just the one. Um, and, you know, like they're like, oh, he'll he'll come out of the woods and get you at night and all this sort of thing. You know, and it was like, you know, perfectly relatable to Kevin McAllister with the snow shovel guy that that's completely believable. You know yeah. what I mean? And I, I think where this movie soars is the childlike way that it captures things like that. You know, it's like it's like adults creating this, but they they have this again. It's, I love John Hughes to death, and he has this perfect ability, whether it's dealing with teenage movies or dealing with something a little younger like this, where he just so knows perfectly the mind space that you'd have. Like to your point of like the furnace or things like that, that like a seven year old, it's such visceral basic stuff that like every little kid can relate to you know and and a combination of that plus the way the movie is shot is is shot almost as if it's the kid's perspective in a way totally, like yes like you know in his mind's eye almost if you think about well, it you mentioned it before like the thing where he wakes up and he feels like his wish actually came true yeah you know like there's no adult that would be like you know, the same thing, like, oh, God, I wish this. And like, then it like, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, I wish came true. Yeah. You know, like, it's completely believable that if like a, a seven year old went to bed wishing that his family would disappear and then woke up the next day and nobody was there, even if like he should have like had in his head like, oh, yeah, everybody's waking up and going on a trip tomorrow. They're probably just gone. Like he genuinely is like, my wish came true. You know, like, <laughs> it's, it's so cute looking at that from an adult, but it's like so like. Oh yeah, like you know, like you always were like wishing for things as a kid. You want that wish to come true, you know. And like, imagine if something like that happened, you know. So, yeah, it's it's just super fun. So, can I tell you a funny story? Absolutely. So, remember the scene where he takes the radio flyer down the stairs? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, my childhood- I happen to know this story, but I'm happy you're sharing this with our audience. <laughs> okay, good. So, um, you may not know this one, actually. This is, this was based off Aladdin, wasn't it? A little magic carpet, a little bit, but yes and no. Uh, there's, there's more to this story. So that year, uh, my sister and I, my sister was like three years old at the time. And I was seven, asked my parents for sleds for Christmas. And they got us these like plastic ones you'd get it. I don't know, I guess probably Kmart or Modell or something like that at the time. Caldor. Caldor probably, <laughs> too, yeah. And mine was this like bright, bright green. My sister's was this bright, bright pink. And it had snowed a little bit after Christmas that year. And our upstairs was literally a straight shot down to our front door. And so my sister and I, would we one day we were like, it snowed outside. We had these sleds. They hadn't been used yet. And my parents had a carpeted staircase, not a wood staircase. So if you slid down to this thing, you'd go fast. And so I opened the front door. I opened the screen door and I propped it open. And there was this nice thing of snow. And before we did it, I was like, let's test it. Right. And so I dropped my sled with like, you know, a couple of stuffed animals on it. And the thing went so fast down and it didn't shoot forward. 
it just kind of hit flat on the ground <laughs> and it tipped over the other way. And I looked at my sister, I'm like, I don't know if we should do this. And then again, obviously, years later, we try this with a, with a carpet and do a I little. I was going to say, a, a yeah, Aladdin there's style. the Aladdin story, which I think was on, uh, what was it, episode 15 of Wizards? We were talking about this, and I think I had known it previous to that, yeah. too. So you, you didn't learn your lesson. <laughs> did not, did not learn my lesson. But it was like, okay, it's a carpet. Maybe I, I, I could use it as like a net. I don't know. But it was, yeah, I, I didn't do a lot of smart things as a kid. I was like, <laughs> but, but we used to like to slide down the stairs because they, like I said, they were carpeted and you could fly down them. And, you know, I think this one time was one of those things where I was like, I don't know if I should do this. And I think my sister almost pushed me down at the same time. Like, and she was three. So she wasn't strong enough to really get a good shove out of me. But I was like, I don't know about this. And I don't, <laughs> it was, it was a close one where I don't know if we actually, but I don't remember. I do remember that the actual sled hitting flat, tipping this way. And the stuffed animals going face first onto the floor. And I was like, I don't know about this one. So, yeah, there's my Home Alone sled story. Nice. I'll tell you one um, that has stuck with me um, for Home Alone for years. And I, I, this is a point where I guess I've still never quite understood it. I had to have people explain it to me at the time. And the explanation hasn't sufficed since I've become an adult. I've still never to date understood the aftershave thing. Have you ever had an experience where having put on aftershave, it like burned your face so bad that you would scream? Have you had an experience where you put on aftershave and it burned your face at all? <laughs> because maybe I've just had very mild aftershaves. Uh, well, I don't really use a lot of aftershaves that much. Um, but there was a, a time period when I was first learning how to shave where you'd get like the aqua velva. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and and there there were certain ones like there was like a you know brute by Fabergé or whatever it was. And I think my dad had a real bitter one, and it really wasn't necessarily the aftershave. It may have been like cologne that when once you had a fresh shaved face, it would sting a little bit. But I don't know if I ever really had a real burning sensation like that, other than you know maybe under your neck when you shaved here, but not, yeah, yeah. not on my cheeks necessarily. No, it's such a funny scene in the movie for me because, you know, there's first of all, the questionable idea that he would have even shaved ahead of that. Like, cause I don't know what he would be shaving. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like it's clearly like a, a joke put in there for the adults. Like, I don't think kids would understand it. Yeah. I, I as a kid definitely didn't really understand it. Um, except for the very, very visceral reaction of him being like, ah! Ah! <laughs> you know, and like another like kind of like funny behind the scenes thing is that he wasn't supposed to keep his hands on his face. He was supposed to like put it on his face and then like take him away and scream. Um, but he kind of left them and it became like a very iconic moment to the yeah. movie. But I, I still to date don't know if I've ever 100% understood that. So if you're out there in listening land and you've had a bad experience with a burning aftershave, let us know on our social media because on I your face, man baby, burning aftershave, that experience. <laughs> burning aftershave on your face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I don't know. Be, beyond that, like I just, you know, I, I just look at the, you know, there's Marv and what's the other guy, villain's character name? <laughs> you know, I always remember Marv. Um, why am I blanking on on his his name? Harry. Yes, Harry. So, like, you know, Marv and Harry 
as characters, as opposed to being great actors, like they just play this these characters so well. Like you know, they're goofy, but they play it so straight that it's like the the jokes just kind of come naturally, and and they're not even the lines may not necessarily be funny, but the way they're delivered is if they like really embodied like that's the one thing about this movie everybody really embodied the characters they were playing you know and and they sold it all the way there wasn't anybody that was like half-assing it or or feeling like they weren't putting all their even the uncle the the, the small parts the uncle has he's all in spike the brother all in everybody really sold their character for sure and another um Fun thing I'm curious about, I'm pulling out some of my behind the scenes stuff this time. Um, do you know some of the original actors that were supposed to be Harry and Marv? No, I do not. Yeah, so there's some funny and fun kind of interesting casting stuff with them. So the funny thing, at least with um, the Marv character, is they had um, initially cast Daniel Stern. Mm-hmm. And then he was actually going to drop out of the role. Um, because there was kind of a discrepancy in like how much time he was supposed to be filming and he was upset by it. So they had replaced him um, with another actor called Daniel Roebuck. Um, but apparently his chemistry with um, Joe Pesci was not good. So they re-offered it back to Daniel Stern, who then actually accepted it and came back. Really? Um, so that's a funny one. But as far as the Harry character, um, some of the people that were meant to play him, um, specifically one person who was offered it and turned it down was Robert De Niro. I thought it was either De Niro or, or Pacino. One of those two. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. No. Um, Robert De Niro was, was explicitly offered it and turned it down, um, before Joe Pesci came on, but, um, other people, um, Danny DeVito, Bob Hoskins, Kurt Russell, Tommy Lee Jones, and Phil Collins. Wow. Isn't that a weird list? <laughs> Other than Kurt Russell, I could see all of those. Like, even Phil Collins. I don't know. I mean, like, Bob Hoskins, Danny DeVito, I could certainly plug into that role. Kurt Russell, Tommy Lee Jones, they're a little too real, too little intense, I think, for that. (laughs) In particular, uh, Tommy Lee Jones at that time was still too grizzled as a character. Like, as an actor, like, he always played the, the, the... the you know the marshal and fugitive that was kind of his thing for such a long time now as he's older he plays a little bit more lighthearted characters but yeah i think back then it might not have sat well but yes bob hoskins for sure danny devito for sure i could like i love phil collins anybody who knows me knows i love phil collins and i could see it i don't know if he'd be that good as an actor in the role but like i, I could see it but again going back to it now seeing this movie 30 years later nobody could have played this like joe pesci played this role period oh no for sure and uh, you know i've told you and i've maybe even mentioned it in the podcast somewhere before i forget that i'm a i love daniel stern i mean he's yeah. he's just a lot of fun i wish that he had a a bigger um career i mean it's speaking again about rookie of the year he's so great <laughs> in rookie of the year you know what i mean um you know a fun fact about that. him yeah. He is the voice of a show. Do you know what show from the 80s and 90s? I feel like I should know, but I'm the Wonder like... Years. Really? Yes, he plays That's fun. <laughs> uh, Fred Savage's older voice that like narrates the show. It's him. 
That's so funny. So there you go, friends. We're having a lot of uh, fun facts here. I feel like we've done a few recalls recently where we haven't had these behind the scenes or otherwise fun facts. So we're having a little renaissance episode here. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, you're so, so right. Joe Pesci is so perfect for that role. Um, I love that he plays quite a lot of it like he plays his role from Goodfellas, that kind of just like extremely abrasive like yeah. you know like it's 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 just so great yeah i mean like he treats it like it's a scorsese movie or something yes, you know I mean, like, he takes it so seriously like it's a scorsese um, movie he yeah really no does. it's it's really great um i think the other thing i would say and and this is probably more uh a nice thing to say towards um those two stunt doubles oh my god um, because i don't know how much of their own stunts they were maybe doing but like when it gets into the trap section of this movie first of all like i'm pretty sure half those traps would have straight up killed Kill people them. yeah <laughs> Kill them. you know they they come out uh, certainly worse for wear at the end of this but like yeah i'm pretty sure a few of them might have killed them in in, in a reality <laughs> sort of version of this and if they didn't um, kill them in this movie they definitely would have killed them in home alone too for sure <laughs> and actually there's a i'm pretty sure i think it, i'm not wrong when i'm saying that um corridor crew um who's another group that i love to death on youtube um did a uh recently i think did a um remake of the death traps from home alone and made them like if this were a little more real life or like at least more extreme Mm -hmm. (laughs) so like the stuff is like way over the top way bloody way fun to check out so so i suggest everybody can (laughs) check that out if you're into that um but the stunts in this movie they are for real. For real. <laughs> Those yeah. stunts where the people are like, even though it's like, you know, just like falling down a flight of steps or things, but like onto like that hard surfaces and things. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. There's so many cringeworthy um, falls or, or different things like that, that, that some of the stunt guys take in this. And are like, just brutal. Again, my hat is always off to stunt people, but my hat is very off to the uh, Home Alone stunt people. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, they, they sell it. Uh, falling down a flight of stairs covered in ice or you know just there's so many just like the the stepping on the nail and falling backwards getting an iron in the face obviously that's you know (laughs) fake but just like i don't know just the way that they reacted to it and, and it just they sold it big time and uh, another fun fact on the the stunt performers um, side of things, because you do tend to think of that mainly as being Harry and Marv. There was a stunt performer for Kevin, oh, I believe, and it, it was a it was a a uh, a smaller person that was um, like in his like thirties or something. Oh wow! Which I think is very funny for for you know stunt doubling a a seven year old because I guess you can't have small children yeah. <laughs> um, doing that sort of thing. I believe it. <laughs> So I'm sure we'll also touch on this in the review, but um, it, it definitely um, bears um, mentioning here that I think another thing that has long since stuck with people and you hit it off right in the beginning of our episode here um, is angels with filthy souls. Yes. <laughs> so uh, for any that are, are fuzzy on what I'm talking about, um, this is the black and white movie uh, that is playing at points um during this and then also apparently it's sequel in uh in uh home alone 2 um but uh the fun fact about um uh, angels with filthy souls is it's a completely made up movie yeah. for home alone it's not 
a movie that already exists. I think I thought when I was a kid that that was a movie that did exist, and I kind of wanted to like find it at the movie store. It did not exist. It was just made the the scenes that you see of it for Home Alone. But it is loosely um, it's loosely based on a movie called uh, Angels with Dirty Faces. Or is it? Yeah, there's a, a James Cagney movie. Okay, I was gonna say because it definitely has that like film noir Cagney feel to it. Um, I didn't realize that it was actually a direct takeoff of something like that. But that's awesome and fun to know as well. Yeah. Um, uh, this is another, um, kind of fun nostalgic point in this movie for me, a, because like, it's probably one of the most infinitely quotable parts of the movie. Yeah. Um, you mentioned it in here. It's, it's in our promo for uh, box office 30 when we launched. Um, but the other fun thing about that is, um, it's so harkens back to as a young kid. And again, this is something with either older siblings, older cousins, older acquaintances, like the movie that you weren't supposed to watch the yeah. movie that was probably either too scary or too adult or, or too whatever for you um, that you were able to sneak in that one time because your parents weren't there because your older sibling showed it to you or something like that. Um, I was trying to rack my brain to, to think if there was movies like that, that um, really stuck out for me. Is there anything off the top of your head that might've stuck out for you in that sort of vein? Um, there was a movie that came out the same time as Hook that was an R-rated movie I forget what it's called but uh, I'm a blank off the top of my head but there was, an, uh, there was a couple of movies like that like even like The Godfather Part 2 or something like that my parents might have been watching on VHS or something like that or on you know HBO for the one month free preview that we had for it. And I'd be like, Oh, <laughs> let me, let me like sit outside the door and listen to this movie. It was one of those things kind of, you know, kind of movies or, um, I remember like, it was, it was another movie, like a, like a, like a Sharon stone kind of a movie that you're like, yeah, you know, you're not supposed to be like, that's what it was. It was, ba- it was either basic instinct or fatal attraction where I'm kind of like sitting outside, kind of like looking through the doorway watching the movie <laughs> and then my, my parents kind of catch me peering through or I'd be like hiding behind the couch like, watching the movie something like that it was one of those kind of movies for sure yeah I had a few that I think I saw more or less of at different points in time uh, one of them was Raising Arizona um, which again like depending on how young you are you know like is, is not necessarily appropriate for, yeah. for that age um, another one, um, I think was silence of the lambs. Mm. Um, and then another one that, and I don't know why this pops into my head, but I, there was a point where I went to visit, um, an aunt and uncle in, uh, DC and I went with one of my other aunts and my cousins. And, um, when we were at this hotel, we were staying at my older cousin managed to put on I don't know if it was HBO or like, you know, just some channel that had like movies that we probably shouldn't have been watching. <laughs> and the movie that I remember seeing um, is this movie. And you'll tell me if you've ever heard of this or not. And I, I am not going to be shocked at all if you did not hear of it. Um, it's a movie called American Cyborg Steel Warrior. <laughs> Does that ring any bells for you whatsoever? Nope. Not a bell. All right. Well, I, I'm again, I'm not surprised. It's a complete complete piece of garbage movie <laughs> i'm just curious if any of the nostalgia freaks from the 90s out here um, have ever heard of that because that's like a real early 90s movie 
Um, I couldn't tell you much about it anymore, but I remember it just being kind of like over the top action movie had some kind of gory stuff, you know, sort of thing. And like as a, I don't know, seven year old, eight year old, whatever it was when I was on this trip, I remember being like very like, well, no, let's see if that's early 90s. I'd have been. Tennis, I guess, maybe then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe I was about tennis or so. I just remember like feeling like I got away with murder watching that, <laughs> you know, because it's like it's just was like it's a complete utter piece of garbage movie, like looking back on it. But like as a kid, I was like, oh, I probably shouldn't be watching yeah. this. We're in a hotel room and I'm seeing this movie I shouldn't be watching, you know, <laughs> so I, I, I there's probably a million more and I'm, I'm drawing a, so many blanks on on what so many of those would be. But um, it, it's such a great, again, like childhood kind of fun thing to think about, like that that movie that you weren't supposed to see that you got to see, you know, and like, yeah, like I, Kevin McAllister is living that through, uh, and, and through this one. Another one I can think of looks like, you know, that I kind of snuck in to see what was like the hand that rocks the cradle and things like that. Like those kind of movies. Yes. You know, that was another one. was like, Oh, what's going on? This movie, it's, <laughs> the door is closed. I can't watch it. I got to find out. <laughs> see what's going yes. on. <laughs> so, um, but beyond that, I feel like, you know, like, like I've said, this movie, it, it, it connects with everybody, no matter what your age is, no matter when you watch it. 30 years from when it came out or theoretically 30 years from now, it'll still be one of those movies that is like, you know, a national lampoon's Christmas vacation or, um, it's a wonderful life or, or a Christmas story that just kind of connects with people and, and makes you feel good. You know, it's, it's, it's like the perfect time for this movie to be on our show because this past year has been such a nightmare and we're start of sort of almost at the light of the end of the tunnel. I feel like, like some good things are happening <laughs> hope. and you know, it's just one of those things like, okay, even if you have watched a million times, just, you know, take two hours, throw it on in the background, show it to your kids or Put it on Thanksgiving when you're sitting down having dinner. Have it on in the background or whatever, because it's just a good movie to have in your in your purview in this time of our life. I feel like definitely. So I think we're going to start uh, bringing this one in for a landing, and we're going to obviously talk a lot more Home Alone in our upcoming review. Yep, <laughs> Mike's Mike's airplaning our airplane in on the screen for us here. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I, I thought just as, uh, something fun, you know, again, for our listeners out there, um, if you're not following us already on social media, um, obviously feel free to follow us. We're box office 30, um, T H I R T Y on Facebook and Twitter. We are box office three zero on Instagram. Um, let us know like some of your favorite, um, nostalgia moments or, are you, or sure, favorite it's, are you sure it's three zero on Instagram? That was the other way around. <laughs> yeah, you got me. You're right. <laughs> It's box office three. Yeah, it's getting late here, folks. Box office three zero on Facebook and Twitter. T H I R T Y on Instagram. Thank you for for fixing that. You're um, welcome. For me. I'm sure people would have found their way to us. If you find box office thirty with a three zero on Instagram, it's like some like garbage spam account. Yeah. Um, like with like Arabic uh, like characters, and it's got like six pictures of random things, and it hasn't been used since 2018. 
I want Instagram to give it to us, but they're not going to do it. (laughs) I actually wanted to to propose a question and you can let us know on Twitter or whatever. We'd like to do some kind of fun stuff interactively with you guys. You know, if we want to do quizzes or some of that on our, on our social media, but I'm kind of thinking about making like a T public store and have some of our quippy little one-liners we have as t-shirts or whatever. And if you think that's kind of a cool idea, let us know. Cause I'm, I'm interested in, in putting a t-shirt for us. Cause for example, Tonight, we had a perfect one where we both were like, oh, boy, at the same time. <laughs> and it's something we say together all the time. Oh, boy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So there's, yeah, please, yeah, definitely do that. The other thing is the Retro Network also has um, a page set up. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on the link. I'll see if I can't put it in the show notes. Um, I think it's with Redbubble, um, where they also sell um, shirts and merchandise. And there actually is some box office 30 merch. There um, is? That you can get over there. There is, yes. What's Red I, Bubble. I don't even know. About I have this. not. Uh, I have not mentioned it um, here just yet, but I, I'm probably doing a disservice by not mentioning it. So I should mention that there's some of that over there. I think um, I was chatting with Jason, and he was saying that we had an issue with some of the artwork, otherwise related to their things. So I think they were trying to figure out if they were going to move providers. So I could be totally way off in saying this, and if so, I might just cut this whole section out. <laughs> but. Uh, uh, you know, it's definitely worth checking that out, um, as well as checking out the Retro Network uh, Patreon, because um, all of your support goes to support the Retro Network, which keeps us here for sure. Yeah. Um, so it's it's definitely worth uh, mentioning that. And, and of course, thank you to them as usual. Um, but uh, it's also a big thanks to you, our listeners. So um, if you have a few bucks, um, please feel free to go over and, and throw them in the in the coffers of the Retro Network, because they're producing a lot of really amazing the coffers? Um, What's and- a coffer? Yeah! <laughs> oh, are we going to do that? <laughs> Wordsmith you. It's the word of the day. <laughs> uh, the coffers is like our uh, it's like our, our little collection uh, plate, our little uh, our little place to keep our, our money. <laughs> so it's a jar, folks. It's a jar. Yes. yes. <laughs> it, is a, it is a jar with a dollar sign on it. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Um, (laughs) that's another fun thing I told Mike I said every time that we I come up with some ridiculous Pete word that he's like what is that (laughs) I'm going to uh, I'm going to throw the old uh, Pee Wee Herman uh, (laughs) noise in there because I think that'll be a fun thing ongoing (laughs) oh boy that'll be good that'll be the flame on for our podcast fantastic I'm I'm down unlike in in Wizards I'm not even going to blame it on the words being like something that you should know it's absolutely dopey words that for some (laughs) reason are in my my, uh, lexicon (laughs) yeah seriously I mean this has been a a ongoing joke for the two of us for 19 years in that (laughs) that way but you know again as we try to bring ourselves back because we could go on a tangent for far too long and i don't want you guys to tune out um but we'll be doing our full uh review in two weeks and this will be a lot of fun and i'm looking forward to talking about the movie and watching it again and we've watched it with our children or at least i've watched it with my children but i'm gonna force them to watch it now and you know i'm gonna look at it in a different lens this time and try to look at it more as the film and the story and everything as opposed to just being a fun adventure and we'll have a cool conversation about it definitely all right friends well that's gonna be it for this month's episode of box office 30 we hope you join us as mike said in two weeks for our review of home alone 
In the meantime, <laughs> I lost it. <laughs> you know what I was trying to? I was trying to think of uh, uh, of um, something fun, Home Alone-ish to sign off with. Um. Oh god, I got it, I got it. Alright. But in the meantime, keep the change, you filthy animal. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, friends. See you soon. Thanks. That's all I can come up with. Give me a break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that works. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.